here with my uh right hand man, my guy Mo Better, and we got uh Jerry and the pup, the family, the pup this morning visiting. How you guys doing this morning? Good morning, oh, well, everybody. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm doing well. Who who's that visiting us today? With us today? The same Bella. The same, the same one. All right, all right, I got you. I got a, I got to give a special a special shout out, man, to my guy uh from yesterday. Uh Mark, the voice of the Houston Texans, uh Mark Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt, man, he was the voice. He is the voice of the Houston Texans if you guys don't know that. Uh they gave a shout out to the Empire Sports Network yesterday on the video with me if y'all haven't seen the video that I did post in the group chat or post on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook. That is the voice uh, of the Houston Texans right now. So it was an honor to get a video with him and him shouting out the Empire Sports Network for us, man. So I'm very blessed uh, to be at, uh, well, to be, saw him at training camp yesterday. He'd been there all week. He'd been there all three days. So it was a blessing to get the medium. Shout out to Mo and Will. Uh, from take uh from you know stepping in for me, stepping in for me, you know covering for me while I was uh having uh going to watch the Texas uh, at training camp practice. So uh let's let's go guys, let let's get right into it. So we got some little bit of a uh issue in in Commanders land uh right now. We got Eric Bieniemy. Uh NFL uh we got the Commanders players uh are concerned about Eric uh Bien-Aimé, uh intensity. Bo, give me your thoughts upon the players being concerned about Eric Bieniemy. I, I I feel like they have to understand that Eric Bieniemy also is he's coaching for his coaching career, right? He's looking for his first head coaching job, so I think he's trying to establish himself and pushing them, pushing them. Not a bad thing. Eric Bieniemy is encouraging competition. He's trying to get these guys to play at a high level, and how do you sharpen yourself? for the preseason, for the regular season, how do you compete for a roster spot? You work, you work, you put in that work in practice, you put in that work in training camp. So I, I've, I've never really heard football players or any players complain about the intensity of a coach. Usually that's a good thing. So look, I, I don't have a problem with Eric B enemy's intensity. I would say for the players, they need to get on the same page. There, some of these guys are playing for their football careers. Some of these guys are playing for roster spots. You might want to show that same coach the same the same effort that he's putting out there for you. So I, I think it's kind of strange that players would complain about the intensity of a coach. They know that the way it's set up, it looks like Eric Bieniemy at some point will be the heir apparent to Ron Rivera, right? So I, I understand where Eric Bieniemy is coming from. He's simply trying to establish himself, but I don't mind the intensity. Training camp is all about work. Yep, yep. Uh, Jerry, go ahead. Like my thoughts, like the fact that they have a problem, it just made one they're soft. Like they, whoever was there before then, wasn't pushing them hard enough. Clearly, two, the Commanders are trying to establish a winning culture with the new owner, new offensive coordinator, maybe new head coach. Um, they're trying to establish the winning culture. So if you don't want to be pushed and you don't want to be pushed to the limit, you don't want to be competitive, you have a problem with intensity. I mean, of course, EB is coming from a winning culture in Kansas City. Exactly. 
They're trying to build it in command in in Washington. They've been trying to do that for at least a, a decade now, but they're trying to build it. So it's like you have to kind of buy into what the coach is selling, especially if that coach has like one or two Super Bowls and his intensity. You have to buy into it and quit being soft because you don't like people pushing you or yelling at you or coaching you hard. That's what I really don't like. It's like the intensity, it prepares you for what he's already seen that y'all haven't seen yet. So it's like, it's, I don't know why they come. I have a problem with people who complain about the intensity of something. Cause it's like, do you want to be better or not? Right. And, and Jordan, let me ask you this. Don't you think that those players would want to pick his brains? We're talking about a guy that came from, from a winning culture. They're trying to establish that. Who has more information? Who can share more about winning and what it takes to win? He's an offensive-minded coach, so I'd expect all those skilled position people to be trying to pick his brain, especially the quarterbacks. So I, don't you think they'd be trying to come to him, ask him all kind of questions because of all the information and all the knowledge he can supply to them? Exactly. Instead of trying to resist and push back, I'm like, y'all are acting like teenage girls right now when they, they get told to do something. I promise you. Like, it, in this situation, you, you're going to have to sell in. You're going to have to buy in. No matter how you don't like people yelling at you, coaching you hard, being on you about every little nitpicky mistake, look at the – they got to look at the bigger picture. They've never – when was the last time they won the conference? 2021. The whole division was horrible. And what happened right after that? They, in 2021. That one playoff game. What happened in that? So Washington doesn't have a winning culture. They're, they, and you can kind of kind of blame it on the front office mess. But right now, when you're trying to establish that, we don't need pushback and resistance and complaining about intensity and two why did this even get out like this is something they should have kept in house that's true that players that's were complaining because now you make eb kind of look bad and you know he's trying to get a head coach job somewhere so players are complaining and you just got there of course it's going to make him look bad so this should have stayed in house and they need to stop complaining imagine that a coach trying to coach players that's funny yep uh but uh mo uh uh like i say this is a coach you know that comes from a winning organization that knows all about winning uh that knows all about winning did nothing but win in kansas city did a great job being an offensive coordinator you know been around winning players in washington haven't won anything. They haven't won anything. They just getting off uh their jeep. They just getting off their owner, which they should have been got off a long, long time ago. Uh, like I say uh again, is it uh it's it's not a problem for Eric enemy to try to push this team hard right. because he's been a part of a winning culture in this team, not been a not been a part of winning in a while. It shouldn't be a problem to these players because a coach want to come in and change the organization around and get them back on a winning note. So uh, it's not a problem for it, right, Mo? You don't mind Eric being me pushing, getting the best out of these players because, again, he is a winner, and these players have never won. So it's not a problem, right? I don't see no, it as a problem. It's it not- shouldn't be a problem at all, Coach. Remember, 
they're they're trying to start a totally new regime, right? They're trying to get out from under the shadow of Dan Snyder, right? So this is all new. Let's go with a winning culture. It's a new it's a new leadership up top. You got a new offensive coordinator, and he's trying to bring in a different mentality. Embrace that. Embrace that mentality. But I, I just don't understand having a problem with a guy that wants to push you. He wants to push you beyond where you've been pushed before. He's trying to set you up for success. Embrace that. Definitely, 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 definitely. Man, this is a commanders team that has all the you know tools to win. They have all the right players uh, to win. They may got the most underrated receiver in probably all of football. Uh, uh, so again, I don't see a problem with Eric being me pushing the players. If as a player, you should be want to be pushed hard. Uh, you should be want to. You should want to be pushed. You should want a coach like that. You know, uh, a Super Bowl winning head coach. Super Bowl winning offensive coordinator that knows what he's doing that want to that want to push. I don't know a player you know that don't want to be put. I don't want to be pushed. Uh, Carlson Carl Wentz just like you said. Uh, you know, Kuma came mentally. Wentz wasn't ready. Like after he went, after he lost that, after he lost that Super, he didn't lose the Super Bowl to Nick Foles. But after he, him seeing Nick Foles holding that trophy up, I think that really gave that dude. I think that really gave the dude really thought mentalness kept kicked in. Automatically for Carson Wentz, I thought he was uh, actually mad that you know uh, that seeing uh, Nick Foles won that suit, pretty much won that suit. But I think he got it got to him ment mentally, and he wanted to be out. He actually wanted to be out there. So other than that, we got uh, Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor uh, leaving the Colts to rehab his ankle. James Steichen said he has nothing uh, to do with uh, uh, the contract. Uh, standing off uh, the guys, uh, the guys that's uh, buying that. Uh, so, Jory, what, what, what you uh, what you making of Jonathan Taylor uh, leaving the coast to go to rehab his ankle and Shane Steichen uh, words? I think he need to stay away, personally. But ain't nobody believing that this has nothing to do with the contract. Nobody's believing that the contract situation and how Arisay handled this whole thing is the elephant in the room. So as long as the elephant is in the room, you're going to have to deal with it. You're going to have to answer questions about it. And pretty much you, it's safe to assume that everything that he's unhappy about centers around that. So, yeah, I'm buying that he does have – I know he has an ankle injury. So I do think that he left to go rehab. But to say that him not having his money and him not getting his money, according to Ursay, doesn't have a role in why he left, that's just asinine because I it definitely does. And if I'm Jonathan Taylor, I'm staying 500 feet away from the facility in Ursay. I don't blame you. I'm gone too. I wouldn't want to come back either. Uh, go ahead, Mo. So this feels more like a standoff, but I don't. I don't think it's a standoff that Jonathan Taylor can win. Right? He can stay away, but at some point he's got to make a decision because Ursay is the kind of owner. If you want to stay away, I'll keep you, um, put you on the physically unable to perform list and have you sit for the season and then turn around next year and and franchise tag you again. That That's the power the owners have over these running backs is that Jonathan Taylor can rush for 2,000 yards this season, and I don't think he's going to get a raise. I think he would just get franchise tagged again. It's a sad state, but it's the reality of what we're dealing with, or at least what they're dealing with in terms of running backs. Again, 
talk to your union, talk to the PA. The PA is supposed to be fighting for you. They've got to find a way to negotiate a better situation for running backs, like maybe incentive-laden contracts, something to affect where they can get more money. Somebody suggested maybe paying them up front in that rookie year contract, which is really smart. Maybe that's the year that that's where they get their money. If you think a guy's a franchise running back, when you draft him, the way Atlanta just drafted Bijan Robinson, maybe Bijan Robinson should get his money up front, and then you can negotiate on that second contract. So I, I think that Jonathan Taylor's trying to do a standoff. He can't win this, but I understand him taking that stance. I'm not saying the injury is fake. But going back and forth against the type of owner that he's dealing with, there's no way you can win that battle. Yep, yep. Got you, got you, got you on that one. Uh, shout out to everybody in the comment section. Uh, he said B. John Robinson is the highest paid rookie. Yeah, Phil, yep, that, 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 that is crazy. Uh, but that dude, that dude, that dude could be something special though. That's not far, not far fetched off. That I dude, agree 100%. That dude can be, that dude can be something special. That dude is, uh, actually legit, a legit, uh, football player. So, uh, Kyle Andrews is in the, in the building. Believe that's a, uh, that's a, believe that, is that a, Kyle Jets, that he's with the Jets. He's with Kyle. It's with the Jets. He's new. Shout out to y'all. Shout out to the, uh, uh, big jet, big time Jets nation over there. So we have uh, NBA, we have uh, Paul Pierce, uh, we have Paul Pierce, Dwayne Wade, and Paul Pierce debate who uh, who would win more titles, Paul Pierce uh, with uh, the uh, the uh, Paul Pierce or Dwayne Wade with the Celtics. They basically debated who uh, will win more, who will win uh, more. Go ahead, uh, Mo, get that, uh, who you think will win more. So you're switching Pierce out for Wade? Yeah. Well, if you're switching Pierce out for prime Wade, I think the Celtics would have won at least two championships. I have nothing against Paul Pierce. I will say this. The chemistry between Pierce, um, Ray Allen, and Kevin Garnett, they were connected instantly. They had an instant chemistry. So it might be – I don't know if Wade is a more natural fit, but prime Dwayne Wade is a more dominant player. He's a more dominant player. Prime Dwayne Wade, from the gate, he's shooting eight to ten free throws because of his ability to attack the basket and put pressure on your defense. Not to mention his step back, his athleticism. Don't forget, D. Wade, in his prime, was also an elite defender, three-time All-NBA defender. So if I'm choosing between the two, as much as I respect Pierce and his step back jump shot and all the things that he did, a prime Dwayne Wade is more impactful than a prime Paul Pierce. Jerry? Stop it. Uh, that's exactly where I went with it. Um, that Dwayne, like if you look at it, even though, yeah, the chemistry will probably be messed up for a little bit, but Dwayne Wade was a better player than Paul Pierce in his prime. So, and I know Paul Pierce started this debate all over again because he's bored and has nothing else better to do. But, when you look at what they both did, because I was still like a little girl, but I remember. When you look at what they both did, you can't sit here and tell me that if you put Paul Pierce on that Heat team without LeBron, because they won a championship without LeBron before LeBron got there. So if you get if you put Paul Pierce on that Heat team, do you think they're winning that championship? I like what Jerry just did. So switch them out. If you switch the if you if you switch it out the other way. Dirk's a two-time champion. 
Paul Pierce is not doing what Dwayne Wade did. Exactly. He, he doesn't have that kind of quickness or athleticism to put that kind of pressure on the defense. If you switch them out, that's another ring for Dirk. That, that changes everything. So remember, the perception is Wade had Shaq. That wasn't the best version of Shaq. That was a good Shaq, not a dominant Shaq. In that finals, I believe Shaq only averaged like 13 points a game. They weren't doubling Shaq. That was the Shaq you can actually single cover. That was a mortal Shaq. So when people perceive Wade had Shaq, no. Shaq had Wade. Uh, so yeah, um, you had um this is what I want this is what I uh kind of uh want to uh want to get into uh right here. So uh Dwayne Wade, you know, and we're gonna bring him up again in a in a state segment, but Dwayne Wade led shooting guards in block shots. Shot he probably is the greatest shooting guard, shot block shooting guard that I've probably seen the way. Uh, he he blocked his shots the way he got up there on the defensive side of the ball the way he he uh was chasing shots down and you're right Mo the dude was in the finals was relentless that was a very that was a okay Shaq that wasn't the greatest Shaq you forgot you had Gary Payton on that team coming off the bench Jason Williams them had uh, a lot of um got a lot of burn in that finals uh young Udonis Haslam on that team that team was actually not a great team, but Dwayne Wade. Dwayne Wade was the catalyst in the engine to make that team go. So uh, we have a, we had a signing yesterday, and I should have sworn we talked about this the day before yesterday uh, on the show. Mo uh, Anthony Barr is signing with the uh, New Orleans uh, Saints. Anthony Barr was visiting him the other day. He signed with the New Orleans Saints. How big of an impact Anthony Barr will will make with the Saints? I think he'll make a solid impact. Look, it just shores up what they can do defensively. Um, it gives them more depth. It also gives you a proven veteran. That that Saints defense, that's still a top three, top five defense at worst. You add an Anthony Barr who can who can you slide right in and immediately have an impact. I think that just elevates that defense. An another veteran presence that can fit in, another leader, a guy that can be a leader in your locker room. This just adds more depth, more leadership to that roster. Again, looking at the Saints with that defense, they're asking Derek Carr to be good, not great. If he's good and he doesn't turn the ball over, they're winning that division. That is true. That is true. What, go ahead, Jay. Go ahead. When I look at um, the Anthony Barr thing, I actually didn't know that till this morning because I probably went to sleep last night. But um, – that type of signing, yeah, it is a good one for the defense, for death side, for the depth, depth, yeah, that word, depth, um, for depth, for veteran presence. The only thing that I can that concerns me about the Saints defense, this is the only thing, is because I've seen them, I've watched them all last year. They're very solid when it comes to not letting the little things go, but when it comes to big plays, they can be got. They can be vulnerable. So is this like my I my the way I think is like, is this signing gonna help kind of limit some of those big plays? And in a way, yeah, because he could just slide there and make an slide in and make an impact, a straight impact. So I do like this signing for the veteran presence, the death, what he does and what he does on the field. I do like this signing for him. It'll 
it'll enforce an already kind of reinforce an already stout defense anyway. Yep. Him and Demario Davis can be some type of special linebacking uh duo together. If Anthony Barr can uh be right, y'all already know uh Demario Davis. Um is one of the best linebackers in the game of football. He plays uh Kyle, he plays a linebacker. Anthony Barr plays a linebacker. Uh so you have this is an interesting one. Trey Young is disappointed because he was left off the USA team. Uh, does Mo does he have a point of being disappointed because he left he was left off the literally the USA team? He did say, uh, I would have picked Steph, I would have picked uh, Jalen Brunson, I would have picked Halliburton, and I would have picked uh, probably I would have probably picked Drew Holiday, but he disappointed that he was left off. Um, the uh, USA team. Does he got a point? No. Um, <laughs> Trey Tra Young is probably one of the more talented players in the league, but if you look at his playing style, it's not really conducive to winning. And let, let's be let's be clear. Olympic play is all about teamwork, right? It's all about doing the little things. That's not really Trey Young's MO. So as an individual talent, He's probably better than quite a few guys that are on there. But if you're trying to win and you're trying to create create some type of team chemistry, camaraderie, I, I don't think Trey Young is a natural fit. T Trey Young is one of those guys that his game is about him and not about team. So him being left off, that shouldn't have come in shock to him. Now, to me, him being left off should have motivated him. It should motivate him for this season going forward. But if you look at the guys that they chose, Halliburton is a more natural playmaker. Brunson's a natural leader. Drew Holiday is a leader and an elite defender. Steph is the greatest shooter alive. Who are you going to leave off the team? There, there's nobody that they put on the team that you would trade out for Trey Young. So if he's offended, I, I, I don't know why he would be. I would have selected all those guys as well. Trey Young is an incredible talent, but him being left off the team, it, it's, a, it's a good call. Look at the roster top to bottom. Who are you going to switch out for him? Nobody. Exactly. And that's the point. I don't under, like me personally, I don't understand why. He, I mean, I get why he would be upset because he feels like he deserves a spot. But when you look at Trey Young, and there's the reason why the city of Atlanta is turning on him. He complains to Dean Dang on much. He, he complains too much. I got a whole list of things that he needs to focus on instead of working on trying to focus on team you gonna say you need to work on work on that spotty shooting that you got that lackluster defense being uncoachable and being less selfish that's what gets you on team usa what you're doing is nothing but help run the organization to a ground that yeah. like focus on the task at hand which is trying to get the city of atlanta a basketball championship which won't happen for a long time that's the task at hand, not Team USA. The way Trey plays and the way Mo broke it down, like the, the, the roster, you have some of the best people in their in their type of cat category in the league on that roster. What is the best at Trey doing other than hitting a shot and shrugging his shoulders? Absolutely nothing. So why is he going on and griping about him being left off of Team USA when he said it himself? There was a whole bunch of players that he would have put on there before him. So what? What is your deal? If if he, 
this at this point he can either take all the anger and go put go get in the lab and take it out on that because exactly get the lab get get to work maybe next time but right now no and i don't understand why he's upset see mo a lot of people will get it mixed up like when you say donovan mitchell is a better overall talent now that's true he is better talented than Jalen brunson but as far as basketball playing basketball you talking about having an effective impact on winning on winning games and doing what's best to help your team win I think when people get that mixed up, I think uh, you're saying you're basically saying that Donovan Mitchell is better talented overall. But for us basketball, Jalen Brunson may be a little bit more better for us basketball, playing basketball the right way, playing it the right way. Uh, I bring up when I, I bring I look at Trey Young. Yes, that he's better than he's better than he's a better talent than Jalen Brunson. Jalen Brunson. For us winning, playing basketball, he's a better basketball player. Basketball player. When I talk about, I'm not saying he's uh, Jamal Murray is a better talent than him because he's not. Basketball. You see what just happened? How much of an impact when he when he was off Denver, when he was off the Denver Nuggets, and impact when he's on the Denver Nuggets. Like the narrative for uh you know the Joker, his two best players wasn't playing. And they were a first round exit. Jamal Murray, they get he gets them both back. You know what they are? They ta-da! They in the championship and went in the finals. They in the fight. They in the finals and went in the finals. So Mo, again, explain to the people what what are you saying? Just like I'm trying to say about Jamal Murray, what are you saying? What give give the people a narrative of when you say Donovan Mitchell? Donovan Mitchell is uh, more talented than Brunson. But Bronson is a better basketball because I believe a lot of people will get that kind of misconstrued or mixed up. So let, let everybody let everybody know. Well, first of all, yes, Donovan Mitchell is one of the more explosive players in basketball, but he's a volume scorer. And I don't know that he actually makes his teammates better. He's a terrific individual talent. But if you're trying to win games and do the little things, set picks, go to the go to the floor, set guys up. Penetrate, kick to your teammates, take charges, leadership. Jalen Brunson might not be a highlight reel, but he's a better basketball player. That's what I try to explain to people. There, there are a lot of guys with highlight reels, but I'm talking about who's a better basketball player. Jalen Brunson is a better basketball player than Trey Young. He doesn't put up Trey Young numbers, but he's a better basketball player. If you're trying to win, you want a Jalen Brunson on your team. If you're trying to make Sports Center and see highlights, then you want Trey Young. It just depends on what you want to do. Trey Young, right now, to me, his playing style is fun to watch, but it's not conducive to winning. It is not. Yep. You forgot Jalen Brunson is a, a two-time national goddamn champion, so he knows all about winning. Yeah, we can say it's college, but he does knows about winning. He has been successful everywhere he's played in, in college. He has won a nat two time, been a two-time national champion. Trey Young. His only year of being used to winning is the COVID year that he won, actually won and took his team to the Eastern Conference Finals. And some, a lot of people do think that was a, that was a fluke. That was a fluke as well. That was a fluke as well. I don't take too much consideration in it being a fluke because, hey, you made it. You, you made it. You did what you had to do to make it. You came up short against a better overall Bucks team. Uh, but 
that was a team that really post had post had no business getting past the 76ers. That just shows you that just shows you uh really how how not so well, how fraudulent really the Sixers were, how fraudulent they really are. If you can't beat the Atlanta, you could beat the Atlanta Hawks. That just basically showed you how fraudulent they they really are. That was a series that, th- that they actually supposed to lose that they should have probably lost. But other than that, Trey Young is disappointed the way he was left off the team, and he should have been left off. He should have been left off the team. So um he'll be all right. He yeah, he'll be fine. He'll be fine. So this is an interesting man. I just found, uh, you know, I find things like this, but now nah, I didn't find things like this. Key found it yesterday. Shout out to Key and shout out to Key. So Minnesota has two young star powers. Who will win MVP first, Jerry? Who will get this MVP first? Anthony Edwards or Justin Jefferson? I look the way you look at it. It'll be it. Anthony Edwards will have because he plays in in Minnesota and they're not very good. He'd have to do a whole lot to get just an ounce of MVP consideration. And if you look at it over in the Viking side, Jefferson, Justin Jefferson, got to deal with Kirk Cousins, who who may or may not play well after one o'clock. So. <laughs> When you think about it that way, I would give, because I really don't trust Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony, Carl Anthony Towns together and the rest of that team minus Anthony Edwards, I'll just go ahead and say that Justin Jefferson has a better chance to win an MVP in spite of Kirk Cousins being on or off and not showing up past 130. I just told y'all stop calling this man Carl Anthony Towns. This man's name is not Carl Anthony Towns. It's Mr. No, no Show. Mr. No oh. Show. Yeah, Mr. No Show. There we go. You can't, you can't forget the name. Can't forget the name. Mr. Mr. No Show. That's the man new nickname. But just in case everybody don't know who that is, Carl Anthony Towns is Mr. No Show. Because you know why? Because he don't show up in the goddamn playoffs and when it battles the most for his team. So I just gave him that name. His name is now Mr. It's Mr. No Show. Mr. No Show. That we just Go ahead, the jury. Go ahead. I said, but he didn't. He can show up behind a camera and run his. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He could. He could. That's the only thing he could. That's the only thing he could do. <laughs> so go ahead, Mo. Who will win the MVP first? Who will get it first? It might be a heavier lift, but I think it's Ant. I think it's Anthony Edwards. The thing about the NBA is, is that it's always highlighted that it's a stars league. It's a superstars league. In the NBA, an individual talent can carry a team in a way that an individual talent can't do in the NFL. You're a wide receiver. I don't care if you're the greatest wide receiver of all time. You're contingent upon your quarterback. You can run the best routes. You can always be open. But if your quarterback can't get you to football or if your offensive line is one of the weaker offensive lines and your quarterback is up and down, both those things have to be in sync for you to be able to do your thing. So I think that Anthony Edwards, whether Carl Anthony Towns plays well, whether Gobert shows up or not, Ant, as an individual talent, can still get the T-Wolves into the playoffs. Ant, as an individual talent, it would not surprise me if he led the NBA in scoring. You're talking about a 240-pound two-guard who can take you off the dribble, post you up, shoot from distance, and explode to the basket. I actually think that the Timberwolves are holding Anthony Edwards back because they still want to highlight Mr. No-Show like he's their best player. The best player on that team – the guy that's going to lead them anywhere is the youngest guy on that team. That's Anthony Edwards. 
I did not know Anthony Edwards was that big playing the two. Yep, he was that. He was that big. He was that big. So the narrative came out of Anthony Edwards in college that he couldn't lead a team in Georgia. That was the narrative coming out. But if you look, go back and look at Georgia, that team was very fucking bad. That team was really bad. Georgia has never been good in basketball. They have always been terrible, always been god-awful. And Carl, Carl, Mr. No-Show, never led his own team to even a playoff, close to even a playoff berth when he has to be number one. You think about the history of Minnesota, how bad they have been as an organization. The one time they went to the Western Conference Finals when – KG, Sam Cassell, Latrell Sprewell. Y'all remember that team, right? Y'all remember that team that went to the the Lakers before they got knocked out against the Lakers. That was the only time that team had some real success. They finally get Jimmy Butler. They finally get someone. Uh, He finally lets them in the playoffs. They haven't been prior to that. They haven't been to the playoffs in 16 straight years. That was probably the longest drop before. That was even broken. Um, They lose in the first round. They lose in the first round. Of course, Mr. No Show got outplayed by my guy Clint Capella. He got outplayed by him. And when you get outplayed by Clint Capella, that's something that that that's really that's something wrong when you get outplayed by him. When you get outplayed by him, goes back, they get they get in. Now peep this Jimmy Butler leaves. They don't go to the playoffs for another two years. With him and Wiggins. They don't go to the playoffs for another two years. You drive Anthony Edwards, you spend a year off. You spent that because he's a rookie. But he elevates his game. You go to the playoffs against Memphis. Mr. No show, guess what? He don't show up in that Memphis. He don't show up in Memphis. He get they get they come back this year. They get Rudy Gobert. They end a playing tournament. Uh, they win it first round. Anthony was played like he was the only one wanting to play basketball. He said in the press conference, and I remember this. I'm not trying to go home. I don't know about these. Uh, I don't know about these other players, but I'm not trying to go home. He did whatever it took. Mo and them. You remember that in that game four, he did everything it took. And I remember I came on the next the morning show and laughed my behind off. They tried to lose that game. Three, two different times. They tried to lose game four two different times. And so Anthony Edwards kind of belt them out. He was playing against his own teammates. He was playing against his own teammates not to lose the game. I've never seen anything like that. He was playing against his own teammates. Yeah, they tried to lose the game three times in that game, including in the overtime. They tried to actually lose it, and he belted it out. So he played against his own, literally his own teammates. And either one was to send them back to Denver, and they finally decided to go go home because he kind of got a little bit. He kind of ran out of uh, gas a little bit. But that's crazy when you're going up against your own teammates. You don't want to play like like you got pride, and the other guys don't even don't even show up to play. So, again, we got a, a interesting article, interesting topic right here. It's about the NFL, and it's about someone that's in uh, the Chargers organization. And this is come. This is not coming from me. This is coming from the NFL executives right here. NFL executives calls Chargers head coach Brandon Staley a really bad coach with a great roster. Mo. Oh, my Lord. The executives right about that. Well, I don't want to be hard. <laughs> I feel that most people, if you're looking at the Chargers from the outside and you see how loaded they are on both sides of the ball, and you, you can see they have a decent offensive coordinator and a, and a solid defensive coordinator. What's the problem? It starts at the top. I, I don't know that Brandon Staley – we talk about this all the time. Every coordinator is not built to be a head coach. 
Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes your lot in life is to be a coordinator. I, I think Brandon Staley got the head coaching job maybe two or three years too soon. I don't think he's ready for the big stage. It's a tough criticism to say he's an awful coach. I'll just say that he's underachieved as the head coach of the Chargers. And if they have anything less than a deep playoff run this season, you can book it that he will no longer be the Chargers coach. Yep. You're right. When you read that, I was like, damn, they said that within the Chargers? He's a, he, the NFL's executive said this. The NFL's executive said that. Yep. What happened to sugarcoating stuff? But whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Brandon Staley, it's very clear to even casual NFL fans that Brandon Staley don't know what he's doing. That sometimes on the on the on the um on the sideline he looked like a deer in headlights, or he'll go for it on fourth and five or fourth and forever, and then not go go for it on fourth and one. So yeah, when you look at the Chargers, like, and the one thing that it at the Chargers' inability to kind of make that next step, it's been like that for about the past five or six years. So you can't really just blame Staley on that. You can blame the previous head coach on that too, or to just the whole front office. But they, the Chargers have been have failed to reach their expectations, probably because of coaching and injuries. So they were injured last year. So and then. You have your coach making bad decisions at the at the um end of the regular season to play a player that they know they needed going into the playoffs. I can't really think of the player's name, but he ended up getting hurt in the fourth quarter of a game, if y'all know what I'm talking about, at the end of the season. And then you saw what happened versus Jacksonville. You get it out to a 27 to nothing lead. Common sense. And this is trauma from watching the Falcons Super Bowl. When you get out to a lead like that, all you got to do is run the ball and don't turn the ball over. Trauma. I agree 100%. Staley doesn't adjust very well, which is why that 27 to nothing lead went away. He did, Their defense didn't adjust. That can be blamed on the defensive coordinator, but at the end of the day, the head coach got to bear responsibility for that. Um, So you... They got curb stomped and – well, not curb stomped. They gave that lead away, that lead away. That was a choke job, and it was partially because of the culmination of bad decisions throughout the season that got players hurt and the lack of adjustment. So, yeah, he is a bad head coach, and he wasn't ready for it. And I do believe that if they don't make the playoffs this year or if they look like they're not going to make the playoffs – then the ownership is just going to have to go ahead and pull that plug and fire him, whether it's end of season or midseason, but he's got to go. I think somebody in the chat said he looked like Hackett. I agree 100%. Nah, nah, nah. I, I was sitting there thinking the same thing. Like He, nah, he looked like Hackett. He looked like Hackett. <laughs> Not as bad as Hackett, but he almost there. He got more talent than Hackett. Like, look, yep. at some point, Brandon Staley will move on, and he'll go back to his rightful position as a coordinator, and he will be a very good coordinator. Everybody's not not cut out to be a head coach. That's that's just a fact. I mean, everybody gets a shot at it, but everybody's not, they're not cut from the same cloth to be a leader of men, plain and simple. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So we got an interesting one right here that I'm looking at. So uh, the best trios in the NBA. So I want y'all to pick which one is 
probably that y'all will go with the best, the best trio. I know what number one is already. Go ahead. Anthony Edwards, Mr. No Show, and ah. <laughs> no, I'm playing. I'm playing. I'm playing. They are up on the list too, though. They are really? the yeah, they're at the bottom of it, though. They ain't they, they at the top. That of totally it. makes sense. No, <laughs> so you got book, Kevin Durant, uh Bill, Murray, Jokic, and Porter Jr. You got um you have LeBron, AD, and Austin Reeves. You have Steph, Clay, Draymond, uh, you have Tatum. Uh, Brown, Porzingis, you have uh, Russell, you have Russell Westbrook, George, Kawhi, you have Monk, Fox, and Sabonis, Bam, you have uh, Jimmy, you have uh, Jimmy Two Shoes, you have Adebayo, and you have Tyler Hero, you have Morant, uh, you have uh, Jaron Jackson Jr., you have my God, darn guy. Man, this is my God, Desmond Bain, that's my dude, man, that is my guy right there. And you have you already know at the bottom, at the uh, basement, you have uh, Anthony Edwards, Mr. No Show, and you have AKA French Fry. Y'all don't know who French Fry is? Really go down. That's key. That's key favorite word. So, um, who 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 is who who do, do y'all rank the best? Freddie already said Reeves running AD. You know what he gonna say? But go ahead, go ahead. Who you got, Mo? Who you got? So I I, I love my Lakers. You 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 represent your squad. Yep. top to bottom. But the best, the best threesome is the world champs. The best threesome is the world champs. They've, they've got the belt. They're walking around with the belt right now. And look, nobody, and I mean nobody, runs a two-man game better than Jokic and Murray. Nobody stopped their two-man game throughout the regular season, throughout the playoffs. There is no answer for that because the problem is when they run a two-man game, both of them can shoot with range. So it's pick and roll or it's pick and pop with either the screener or the guy turning the corner. They're both great passers. If you jump Murray coming off the screen, Jokic dives to the basket. If you ju- jump um, the, the Joker, Murray will cut back door and he'll make you famous and bang on you. Yep. Then you've got Michael Porter Jr., who every year he gets a little bit better. And if he can stay healthy, he is the perfect third option. Michael Porter Jr. every night is a threat to give you 18 to 20 a night. He's become a much better rebounder, a solid defender. He's the perfect number three. The funny thing is, when I look at the Nuggets, I would say they have a combination three. So Michael Porter Jr. is the third option in terms of offense. But the third option to me that nobody talks about enough is Aaron Gordon. Aaron Gordon Gordon will give you 16, and he'll shut down somebody's men. So to me, it's no question. Right now, walking around with the belts, the best three is the world champions. You can look at the, 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 the group in Phoenix, Book, KD, and Bill. The problem with those three, none of them play defense. Ain't nobody guarding nobody. Nobody's guarding nobody. <laughs> yep. I love KD. And KD used to be able to defend solidly, but since the injuries, he can't move laterally like he used to. So if you get KD in space, somebody's going to blow right past him. Bill's not a good defender, never been a good defender. Book at least tries, but he's not a good defender. Who's going to play defense on Phoenix? Because at some point, them jump shots will not fall. So who's going to play defense? It ain't DeAndre Ayton, I know that. And that's another thing. You got a guy that's the that his biggest gripe is he wants a bigger role. So what do they do? They bring in Bradley Beal. Now he's got an even smaller role. So are you going to motivate Ayton to play defense more by making him the fourth option? I doubt it. I, they look good on paper. And if you're a fan of NBA 2K, I'd pick the Suns. But in real life, 
there's no way that's the best trio because you have to be able to play both ends of the floor, and they don't do that. You, Mo, you, you, you almost made Freddie jump up in here by not saying the lake. You almost made Freddie jump. I know, I know Freddie is somewhere having a fever pitch. I know. Uh, J-Dub, 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 who's your, your uh, trio right now? I was going to say Denver, but you took my point, so I'm going to try to pivot. But when you look at some of the, these groups, like you said, the Suns, they don't play defense, and they don't have depth, so there's, there's that. And then you look at the Warriors. The Warriors... They're, they're, they're still a good duo, but their time in the window has definitely passed, and they've done nothing. Like, if you you could have switched out Draymond with somebody a little bit bigger, and Stephen Clay would have been able to switch, would have been able to pick it up, even though I haven't seen what i like to see from Clay in about two to three years, but that's because of injuries. And then you go to the Lakers. I like my Lakers. I'm a Lakers fan. So... I like what I like what my Lakers bring to the table, but as far as being the best duo, th- th- trio, trio, my bad, trio, you got to give it to Denver because Minnesota isn't close. Like you said, like you said, the Suns don't play defense. The Clippers can't stay healthy, and even when they do stay healthy, that's not a good fit. That's that won't be a good fit for Russell Westbrook for very long because one, he needs the ball, and then you have Paul George and Kawhi. That's not going to work for very long. At a high level, well, they're not um, going to play that much because <laughs> they can't be healthy. I don't think they play more than sixty games together. If that, if they get sixty games out of them, that that's a great season. That's for the a Clippers. great season because that's not that is rare. Um, <laughs> then you think about the other teams. Like I like what the Celtics do, but I haven't seen. I need to see what they can do with Kristaps because they gave up Marcus Marcus Spark which is a proven commodity for somebody who I have forgotten about over in Washington and KP. And I mean, Chris That's Porzingis. a great point. That's a great point. There, you can't, you can't just generate chemistry out of thin air. So that mm-hmm. looks good. Those th- that three together, but I don't know for sure that that's going to work. What you did is you enhance it, your offensive versatility, because now you've got a big who can stretch the floor and give uh, Tatum and Brown more space to work with. But what about the intensity that you need on the defensive end? You're, you're losing that with no Marcus Smart. You're losing some leadership without Marcus Smart. So on paper, I, I do like the Przingis signing, but what they didn't really answer is they didn't answer the question of who's going to be the point guard, who's going to run that offense, because Brogdon is a point guard, but he's more of a scorer than he is a, a natural point guard. And Derek yeah, White yeah. is the same way. Great defender, but not a natural point guard. So who's going to run that offense late in games? and set guys up coming off screens or doing pick-and-roll action, I, I have no idea. And, and to the Laker fans out there in the chat, here's the thing. If you want to say Reeves, AD, and LeBron, the only problem is I just saw Reeves, AD, and LeBron play Denver, and they got swept. They got <laughs> swept. So obviously it's not them. It's not them. They might be better this year, but right now it's got to be the champs. You have to go off of what you saw. And what they did, honestly – if you want to call it a close sweep, it's a close sweep, but it's still a sweep. And right. the thing is, with Denver is like what Mo alluded to earlier. Like they don't, it doesn't have to be Michael Porter Jr. It could be Aaron Gordon. It could be whoever else. Whoever's hot that night is going to be the third guy. So 
That's Don't what makes on Christian them Braun. Yep. I'm t- yep. I, that's why I think they let uh Bruce Brown uh you know walk walk because Christian Brown played well in the finals and he deserves a shot to come up in the rotation and uh, play. And like I said, if I had to pay Bruce Brown forty five million dollars, oh yeah, you gotta walk too. I'll let you. I'll let you. I'll let you walk too. I wouldn't pay him. Pay him forty five million dollars. He's valuable. He was valuable to us, but forty five million dollars. Yeah, you can go to India. I'll let you. I'll let you go quick, fast, in a hurry to Indiana. Indiana as well. So uh, Christian yeah. Brown is another guy. That's, That's stuff. Just keep a price tag for Bruce. Yes. Brown. Yep. Yep. Uh, so we all agree that uh, Minnesota, uh, they down at they are down they down at the bottom of the barrel at this point. Uh, I feel bad for Anthony Edwards. I really do I that he's part of that. He will be that big two. <laughs> 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 big two right there. I actually feel bad for them. Hey, my bad, Aaron. Man, sorry, my Astros had to put that spanking on you guys yesterday. Uh, my bad about that, man. But hey, uh, we see each other again. We will see each other again today, uh, later uh, today. So. Other than that, got an interesting uh, one that Pat Riley. This is uh, like I said again. This is not for me. This is from Pat. What Pat Riley said about you know Dwayne Wade. He said Dwayne Wade is the greatest player that ever played for the Miami Heat. And no, and it's not a uh, it's not an uh, insult to LeBron James. Uh, J Dub, is that true? You can argue about that, but that is true because. What would you think about what Dwayne Wade was doing in Miami before LeBron got there? So much, so much attention is in the Miami years is when they had the big three with Chris Brosh and LeBron James and Dwayne Wade. But they're not forgetting what happened before then, how good Miami was before then. Even after LeBron left, they were still pretty decent with Dwayne Wade. Even though after that, Dwayne Wade decided to become a travel journeyman around the NBA instead of just hanging it up. Like, I knew he should have, but that's neither here nor there. But you can argue that you that he has a point that Dwayne Wade is one of the best Heat players in all time. Um, one of the best. He's one. He's a pretty. He was a pretty good defender. He's a pretty. He's a good scorer, and what he does with a valuable team around him. Without LeBron, because they had that championship with Shaq, and Shaq was being carried, if we're being completely honest, because Shaq was not that guy when they won that championship in Miami without LeBron. And when you think about the championship that they did win with him, Dwayne Wade had a big part in that. So yeah, he is one of the uh, one of the best Heat Heat players in history, and I can't argue with the owner about that one. Gotcha. Uh, so Mo, hey, one more thing I want to get get to Mo again. Uh, every time uh, I, I you, you bring we bring talk about the Lakers, I'm gonna immediately think about what you said about Jackson. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if you want, I don't want people think I don't like this kid because that's hey, 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 but it, it, it is the truth for what he is. Mo, like I say, he played. No, he, probably, he probably played in all of those games, but. He was DMP'd on most of the games. Yeah, when he does play, he does get you seven points per game. But most of his games be DMPs, which shows you he's not really as good as you really think, a good a helper as you really think. <laughs> that, that, that just lets you know that Willie Green knows he just runs up and down the damn floor. <laughs> Willie Green can run up and down the floor. <laughs> My damn Chihuahua can run up and down the floor. She do that every day. Like what 
up and down the hallway. He fit. Like I said, he fit. He fit. He fit. He fit. He fit. So, uh, Mo, is it true what Pat Riley said Dwayne Wade is the greatest Miami Heat that he's ever played? When you look at the Miami Heat players, you have Tim Hardaway. You do have Lonzo Mourning, a part of the Heat. But is Pat Riley right about Dwayne Wade being the greatest Heat player that uh, in the uh, franchise? He is to me, in my opinion. Look, Tim Hardaway was terrific in Miami, but the best version of Tim Hardaway was in Golden State. That was the best version. That was before the injury. That was when he was lightning quick, blowing by people. Nobody could stay in front of him. The Tim Hardaway in Miami mostly operated in a half-court set. He was a different player. He was more of a jump shooter. Alonzo Mourning is probably the hardest-working player in the history of basketball. Like He worked himself into a Hall of Fame career, worked himself into being an all-star, all-NBA defensive player. So he's a great all-time heat. But in terms of impact, remember, Wade brought them their first championship. There's only one first. And what Dwayne Wade did in that finals against the Mavs, coming back and dominating in that series by himself, completely. people forget, that was an old Heat team. Shaq was on the other side of his prime. Jason Williams was in his 30s. Peyton was, that was not Gary Payton, the glove. That was the mitten. That wasn't the glove. That was a totally different team. Antoine Walker was past it. None of those guys were at the top of their game. Morning was in history. That was an older team. The only guy that got big minutes that wasn't older was Udonis Haslam. And he guarded Dirk and did a solid job that series. But Dwayne Wade carried that team. And I know a lot of people talk about what did he do after that finals. People should remember this. The year before LeBron came, Dwayne Wade, I think he led them to almost 50 wins. He averaged over 30 points a game. The second leading scorer on that Heat team was Haslam, and he averaged 13 points a game. Think about that. They had no scoring. They didn't have no firepower. It was Dwayne Wade by himself. I'll never forget the series. It was Dwayne Wade, the Heat, and it was versus the Hawks. That was Joe Johnson, obviously Al Horford and Josh Smith. No, it was it was it was the Jeff Teague Hawks. It was the Jeff Teague Hawks. I remember with, that. With, with Millsap, they had Kyle Corvin all those. The point is though, Wade almost took those guys out by himself before they beat him. Dwayne Wade is the greatest Miami Heat player. That that's an accurate statement. And on a side note, if you know Pat Riley, it's kind of a shot. It's kind of a shot. It is a shot. Y'all know Pat can be kind of petty. Yeah, 100%. It's kind of a, if you have if you want to see Petty, go look at my, Pat Riley's press conference the year they lost right after they lost to the Spurs. Go look at that press conference. <laughs> my boy Brandon from the block in the building was good. So we got uh NFL preseason is coming up. Of course, you know, my Texans play tomorrow. We'll travel to Foxborough tomorrow, but it's not even about the uh squad, it's about the players you guys want to see. Uh, in the preseason. So I'm going to take a player. I'm going to take both of y'all. If y'all can give me any player that you would love to see in the preseason step up their game, even if it's on you guys' team, who would you love to see? Uh, J-Dub, what player are you looking for? If you got one on the Titans that you're looking for, you can name them, or anybody, any rookie that you want to uh, point out a player, you know, go ahead and get it off. Do they got to – do they got to be a rookie? No, it don't have to be. It can just be a player. It can just be a player. I don't have to be a rookie. Season or regular, because if it's just preseason, I'll stick with the stick with the rookie. But in total, yeah. like 
I'm excited to see how well my reconfigured offensive line gels because from training camp, even though Jamarco Jones got cut because he got into a fight with Jeffrey Simmons one day and then did a crack black block the next and got cut that day. But even though we've had some kind of struggles within the past week or two about the offensive line, like with Peter Skaronsky and Andre Dillard and company, I feel like I need, I'm just so excited to see how well that unit gels because that was literally my focus of the offseason. Like my two things that I really wanted my team to get done was sign Big Jeff and get that offensive line under control. Because I will not sit through another another season of one player just yeeting across my screen because he's had he's bad on his feet and can't get balanced. That was horrible. And then he got picked up by Arizona. That's how I know that man trying to get fired because he's trying to get Kyler killed putting that man on the field. But <laughs> either here or there. But <laughs> my offensive line, I'm excited to see like my my new receivers, not Nick Westbrook Akina. He can go sit on the practice squad. I'm tired of seeing him. I'm tired of him. But between uh Kyle Phillips, if he can stay healthy, if Racy McMath to stay healthy. You, you get um, if Colton Dowell does what he's supposed to do, and then you have DeAndre Hopkins and Traylon Hurt, Traylon Burks in that room. I'm excited for my young receivers, not the the two that I know that's no that I know, but my young receivers. I'm excited to see them too. I could really break down my whole team, but I'm not going to do that just to save time. Yeah, this ain't no tight segment. This ain't this ain't no tight segment. I'm just joking. Uh, but go ahead, Mo. Go ahead, Mo. <laughs> um, other than my own team, I'm interested to see what a, what B. John Robinson will be able to do with the Falcons. If that offensive line is solid, if they can give him the opportunity, he he might, not as a rookie, he might have a legit shot if they can open up some holes and give him some opportunities. He might have a shot to lead the NFL in rushing. I think he's that special a talent at the running back position. For my team personally, the Niners, I want to see what Trey Lance can do. It's important to me going forward in the future of the Niners. You know what Brock Purdy can do. Purdy's shown you he's a solid quarterback that can lead a team deep into the playoffs. But if Trey Lance is as special as they think he is when they invested all those picks to get him, they need to find out right now. I want to see if Trey Lance can push Brock Purdy for that starting position. Because if he can, if he can, he would add another dimension to that offense. Uh, I, I feel like the Niners are going to win one way or another because if he can't overtake Purdy, Brock Purdy's already shown you what he can do. So I'm good with Brock Purdy, but they invested so much in Trey Lance. I feel like this is a big year for him and his future going forward. Yep. And Brandon from the block said uh, JSN for the Seahawks as a Seahawks fan. Uh, speaking of those Seahawks, you know, I, I can't wait to see a certain player, but I'm going to get to uh, one player on Houston in a minute, but I got multiple players. I'm gonna, I can't wait to see Devin Weatherspoon play for the Seattle Seahawks, the cornerback that was drafted. That was drafted. If y'all don't know, haven't seen Devin Weatherspoon in Illinois, this guy can flat out play football. He, he's very physical. He can hit. Uh, like the combination of him and Tyree Woolen being at the uh, cornerback position. Uh, Devin Weatherspoon is physical, can definitely cover. Cannot wait to see him play in the preseason at that cornerback spot. 
And uh, Mo, for your 49ers, man, hey, I love Jair Brown, the safety out of Penn State. Love that guy to death, man. That guy's going to be really something special. He's going to be really, really, really good. He's a really great safety. You guys got someone. You guys got someone that can that will come up and thump. And you guys got someone that that can cover the leverage and the uh out there at the safety position. Uh, so for the Houston Texans, not it's not really uh it's not really. Well, I, I will I want to see it, but again, this is a shot for C.J. Stroud to lock up the quarterback competition to put an end to this quarterback competition today. Uh, tomorrow night, if he can have a great showing, uh, in uh Foxborough. Uh, he's basically one that he's base he's basically got to have a great performance. He's basically outplayed Davis Mills. I call him Lone Neck Mills. I call him Lone Neck Mills. So basically, I uh, <laughs> so it's an opportunity for you to go ahead and put this quarterback competition to rest. What a great performance! He thought he was going out on the field. He thought he was actually going out on the field for the for the last. They was kicking field goals, doing hurry up uh, like a two minute drill. Getting off the uh, field, they would complete a pass, get off the field. It's, they were basically doing situational football at practice. And he actually heard me when I did say this. I said, "Now nah, don't go, don't go your behind out there on that field. You come back on this sideline." And CJ, he thought he was going in, and they, and the coach pointed at CJ Stroud to say, "Go in, go in." But uh, another team is the quarterback situation of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers between Jeff, between Kyle Trask and Baker Mayfield. Can y'all guess who leads training camp in interceptions? If you can guess who leads. Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield. That go yeah, so right now. If you can't beat out Kyle Trask, something is actually you don't need to be. You need to be a backup for the rest. Of, you need to be a backup for the rest of your career. If you can't beat out Kyle Trask as a starting as a starting quarterback, you need to be the backup for the rest of your uh, remaining career. If you can't go out here and beat this man out in a quarterback competition, so Jerry, you had something to say? You had, you... Yeah, I did. Go ahead, go ahead. More about Baker Mayfield in a second, but a few players that I just thought about that I'm really excited to see. One is partially because I'm a Bama fan, so I love to see all of my Bama boys kind of succeed in the league. But I'm really excited to see Will Anderson, even though I have to put, see him twice a year. But I'm really excited to see him, though. Uh, Jordan Battle, he went to Cincinnati. I love him. Jameer Gibbs. Was there not the love about Mr. Gibbs? I, when, he, when, when he transferred to Bama, I loved him. And then, of course, Bryce. But when it comes down to, to the, the whole Kyle Trask-Baker Mayfield thing, if Baker Mayfield cannot beat out Kyle Trask, who, has not, who hasn't played a game in what? Man, played go ahead and sit on the college. couch. That's the only thing he need to back up on is the couch. If he cannot beat, up, beat out Kyle Trask. Because I'm like, bro. And then it's like, the way you think about it, like, what a fall from grace. You were a number one overall pick. I mean, you were average then, but people were so enamored in Baker Mayfield being a number one overall pick, they didn't see it. But with Baker, we all, I knew this was going to happen. I'm like, he's an average quarterback. There's nothing that he does that can really elevate. He needs so much help. Like, this is how I know he was average. You need a good running game. You pray that your defense stands on his head, and you pray that your receivers can catch. He doesn't develop anything. He doesn't develop any receivers. He's not – he's a good rah-rah leader, but as far as a leading quarterback, he's average at that. So if he can't beat out Kyle Trask in limiting the interceptions, when it comes to game time, you know it's going to look a whole lot worse. 
We've seen Baker throw good games, and we've seen Baker throw games where he throws three picks and fumbles at least, at least twice. So if he can't beat out trash, he need to retire. Definitely. Uh, again, I'll give you an update on your boy Will Anderson. He is unblockable in practice right now. But I the know. only person that could block him, though, is Larry Tonto. Of course, Larry Tonto is a uh, top two, top two offensive lineman in football. So that's the only person that could actually block him. Nobody else could actually block him. And he put on some. Uh, he put on a lot of uh, muscle. He's uh, two hundred and sixty pounds uh, right now. So he he put on. He bulked up a little bit. He put on a. A lot of muscle, but Larry Thompson was the only person that I've seen that can actually block him. Nobody else could do nothing with that dude. Nobody else could actually do nothing, nothing with him in practice. Nobody else. That dominant, dominant. He's actually uh pretty. He actually been uh, pretty uh killing it. Uh, so uh we do we do have uh feel like we did touch upon this topic. Uh, Steph uh it has uh multiple goats in the NBA. Uh, steps Steph Curry says, uh, Jerry, what you say to that? Uh, he has multiple goats in the NBA. It depends of all on time. how you think about it. It depends on how you think about it because it's like, with like if you break it down, like who's the go to three point shooting? Oh, that's Curry. Who's the all around goat that starts a fight because it's going to be between Michael Jordan and LeBron that starts a fight right there. Who's the defense? Who's the best defensive player? You could say Dennis. You could say a whole bunch of other play, people. So yeah, there are multiple goats. It just depends on how you really look at it. Because like how I break things down, if I have a three point, my best point guard of all time, that's a, that's a category in itself. Like the way you break it down, like the way you break things down, like yeah, there's multiple goats because everybody can't fit under one umbrella. If that makes sense. So I agree with him in that sense. No. So I think if he's saying it in that context, yeah, there's there's who's the greatest small forward of all time, the, the greatest power forward, center, point guard, two guard, greatest shooter. That would be him. There could be multiple goats that way. I think the greatest defensive player um, outside of Bill Russell, who I didn't get to see play for me, would be yep. Akeem Olajuwon. That, yep. that would be my greatest defensive player. But in that way, there could be multiple goats. But when you put everybody together, the reason why you call an individual the goat is because that guy, that particular player, encompasses everything, right? So it's mm-hmm. scoring, it's defense. Like in the NBA, you've got to get stops. You've got to be able to score. So LeBron is a great scorer. I know the, the narrative is that the thing he does best is pass, but that's not true. The thing he does best is score. It's always been the thing he did best. He's just a willing passer. He's a scorer who's a willing passer. If you average 20 shots a game for your career, you're not a pass-first player. You're a scorer. It's what he does best. I give him credit for that. Michael Jordan was a scorer who passed the ball, but he scored first. That was That's what he thought first. That was his mentality. But it's funny because LeBron has this label of, Pass first. He averages seven and a half assists a game. The guy that's known for just being a scorer averages over five and a half assists a game. It's kind of funny because that's it. The biggest gap between the guy that's known for being a pass first guy and the, and the guy that's known for being a scorer is two assists a game. That's it. Yep. <laughs> I'm just saying there's perception and there's reality. There's reality. 
to me, there could be multiple goats in individual stats. But when we when we start talking about the greatest players ever, the Hall of Fame is like a a hotel, and there's all kind of floors. But when you get to the penthouse, when you get to the penthouse, you're gonna find Magic Johnson, Hakeem Olajuwon, Tim Duncan. You're gonna find Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, and LeBron James, people of that nature. Mm-hmm. When gotcha. we have that conversation, we are gonna start breaking down their careers, their stats, their highs and lows, and saying who is the greatest of all time. So. I don't agree with Steph. I think there can be I there there can be a greatest shooter, a greatest a greatest defender, but greatest player, I think that's one guy. Yep. All right. So uh Mo, you got your boxer. I'm not doing an individual boxer okay. coach because the last show you got me hyped because you brought up the idea of a boxing show. Gotcha. And I, and, yes. and I think that might become a reality. I'm not sure, but if it does. Yep. I don't want to give up too much of the material okay. here because we gotcha. can start doing it there. But so I started about started thinking about great heavyweights through history. I, I just want to know. I just want we'll get to that segment. I got the last topic. Just give me give hold that segment right out. Okay. I know it's gonna be some good, but this is the last one before you get to that segment. But we do got a boxing show uh, coming up uh, with yeah. Kyle and uh, with uh, Jordan, Kyle, and them all together. So we we will get more into the boxing, but hold that. That that's gonna be good, but rank these players one through four. So uh, you know you got Rockets McGrady, but I'm gonna say at their best, the best McGrady was Orlando McGrady, yeah. the yeah. best. So you have Iverson, you have Kobe, James Harden. Best was with the Rockets. You already know that. Uh, T Mac, he's in the Rockets jersey in his prime, but I'm putting him at his best, which what is Orlando. One through four, rank these players. Um, people are going to disagree, but if it were up to me, it's it, so number one's easy. That's Kobe. Yeah, at their best, I would actually have McGrady number two. At his best, at his peak. Yep. The controversy becomes with Harden and Iverson. I'm going to go with Iverson because he's iconic. Um, his impact on the league it's still being felt now. If you want to go statistically. It's hardened by a landslide, but I'm going to pick Iverson at three and then Harden at four. All right, J Dub. Look, so Kobe at number one is off rip. I remember that. Now, I don't remember Tracy McGrady at all. Maybe I'm not old enough for that. No, that, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. Ain't no wrong with it. His career but, was cut short. Yeah, it was cut short. I don't, I don't remember Tracy McGrady like that. Maybe I was like two or three, but I remember Kobe. Yeah, <laughs> I remember that one. Uh, so no, my number one would have to be Kobe off rip, and then AI. Well, when I'm, I'm just gonna remove Tracy from this list because I don't remember, so I can't tell you about that. I can yeah. tell you a little bit about Iverson, and I can tell you about Harden, personally. But I personally would have Iverson over Harden. So one, two, three. I would have Iverson then Harden. But statistically, you would have. Harden than Iverson, but yeah. just the yeah, impact the over the impact on the the court and just the Iverson is an icon. Like I started wearing cornrows because Iverson started wearing cornrows. Yeah. That's, um, that's the point. Yep. Iverson got to be number two for what he did as far as a culture and as far as for basketball. Like they they were still wearing the little short shorts before Iverson got in. So I'm like. Iverson got to be number two, and then Harden for three. Gotcha, gotcha. So uh, I'm, I, I got the same one as Mo. Uh, you got 
got uh, Kobe McGrady at his best at Orlando was just literally un just literally unreal, unguardable. Uh, I think some of that Orlando, that or him being in Orlando kind of burnt him out a little bit and he started having injuries because he had to do so much. It felt like he was just the only one on the damn team that can actually uh, at least uh, do something in Orlando. Then you got Iverson. Then you got James Harden. So, uh, Mo, go ahead and end, end the show off with it on a high note. On so, on a way. high note, I really want to just talk about some of the what? great modern modern day heavyweights. Um, it's, it's, let's call this like a prequel to the boxing show, right? Because I'm yeah, kind of like, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's um, do it. But for me, he's one of my favorite. Bo he's actually my favorite boxer. I think Evander Holyfield is one of the most underrated yeah. boxers yeah. in the history of boxing. Uh, career record: forty-four and ten losses. To be fair, seven of those losses came well after his prime. Wait, wait, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Evander is a classic example of a great fighter fighting well beyond his prime. But if you're a fan of an action fighter, a guy that comes straight ahead, who puts together not two and three punch combinations, but eight, ten punch combinations, that's Evander Holyfield. Some of his greatest wars, I, I would say this, the two fights with Riddick Bow, yeah, followed yep. by the two fights with Lennox Lewis, I think that took everything out of him. He was yep. never the same fighter. At the, those were two. If you want to see two fights or four fights, actually, where both fighters are tested, their wheels, their mentality, what their hearts, go see Evander Holyfield versus Riddick Bowe. Go see Evander Holyfield versus Lennox Lewis. Even when he lost, Evander Holyfield had me psyched. He's fighting against guys that are 25, 30 pounds heavier than him, three or four inches taller than him. And he's just a warrior, a great warrior. Then I started to think about Muhammad Ali. And I don't think people appreciate why we call him the greatest. It's, yep. it's for what he did in the ring. It's also what he did outside the ring. Muhammad Ali protesting the war cost him four years of his prime. People yep. forget about that, that we only saw a little bit of Muhammad Ali's prime. He did not fight for four years. He comes back. And he faces George Foreman, who George Foreman at the time, coach, was basically the Mike Tyson of that era. George yep. Foreman was 40 and 0, had walked through everybody in his path. George Foreman knocked out Joe Frazier in two rounds. His next fight was Ken Norton. He knocked out Ken Norton in two rounds. Think about what I just said. Two of the toughest fighters in the history of the heavyweight division, George Foreman knocked them out, put them to sleep in two rounds. Faced Muhammad Ali in Zaire in, in Africa. Yep. And Muhammad Ali introduced the rope-a-dope style, let George Foreman punch himself out, and then Muhammad Ali dominated him and took him out in round eight. There are so many great heavyweights. And here's the funny thing about George Foreman. He lost the championship to Ali, turned around and rematched um, Joe Frazier at the age of 27, knocked Joe Frazier out in round five of that rematch. He was on pace for a rematch with Ali. A lot of people don't know this. When he fought an unknown guy named Jimmy Young. Jimmy Young beat George Foreman uh, in a unanimous decision. He just, I mean, he just dominated him in a way that nobody had really dominated George Foreman since Ali. After that loss, George Foreman immediately retired. He didn't come back to boxing for 11 years. Comes back to boxing, ends up winning the title at age 45 against Michael Moore. Got you. So I, I'm just looking at some of the great fighters. Lennox Lewis was not the most exciting fighter, 
but he was an efficient, powerful jabber who can fight on the inside. I'm pre I'm I'm doing this kind of like as a prelude to the boxing show. Yeah, so I don't want to give up too much. I will say this: when you look at the great heavyweights of all time, when you look at not just their records but the impact they had inside and outside the ring, look at his overall record. That's why Muhammad Ali is known as the greatest, not just for what he did in the ring, but what he did outside the ring. Yep. Uh, so I want to kind of uh, you know go back to what what you said about. Um, what you said about George Foreman knocking out Michael Moore, that was something special right there. This man in a workout was pushing a goddamn, what you call that, a truck, a car or something like that. He was so strong. He was pushing, uh, he had something on his ribs, and he was just moving a whole truck, man. That showed you how strong this guy was, and Michael Moore was outboxing him the whole fight. He finally said, I can take a punch from George Foreman. No, you can't because the neck cut. <laughs> he took a one-two in a in a in the face, and he, he was put to sleep. And uh he even gave Evander Holyfield a great fight. A, a, a great did. fight. And a lot of people didn't expect that. Uh he even gave Holyfield a, a, a great a actually great showing. A great showing. Uh Holyfield actually struggled, uh, you know, with uh George Foreman. And Holyfield took too many big shots. He like you said, he lost. Uh, of some fights early in his career, later in his career when he played against, when he fought against James Tony, who was absolutely, he was absolutely outclassed versus James Tony. Referee uh, got so bad, referee had to stop the fight. Had he to fought stop way into his yeah. 40s, coach, and he yes. took he, he, yeah, he, he, he took way too much punishment. Um, That's he, coach, you're Go dead ahead. on about George Foreman. Yep. He hit, when, they, when, they, when he first fought Joe Frazier, he hit Joe Frazier so hard, Joe Frazier jumped up in the air. He hopped. Yeah. He made, you, I, I kid you not. Everybody in the chat, you can go look at it on YouTube. Yep. Up, Joe Frazier versus George Foreman. He actually made Joe, Joe Frazier hop in the air after he popped him one time. Like, like he, he, had, he had so much power, he had intimidated the entire heavyweight division. The only guy that was truly interested in fighting George Foreman was Muhammad Ali. It was Muhammad Ali. Nobody else, nobody didn't want to fight. Nobody didn't want to fight him. Then you talking about Muhammad Ali. You know, he fought two fighters that everybody was actually scared of. Sonny Listens didn't nobody want to fight. They were scared of him. Everybody was scared of him, and he was the only one to get in the ring and to knock him out. And they tried to cheat in that fight. Muhammad Ali was blind, folks, was blind. They they put they uh blinded him. They put and something on Sonny Liss's gloves. They, yeah, they put something in his glove, and he was holding it. He was when he was when he was holding Muhammad Ali. His glove, you can see his glove literally doing this to Ali I, and he got inside of Ali I. Thanks uh, to the trainer, because it got to the point it got so bad Ali wanted to quit in that fight. Uh, he was telling uh, his trainer he couldn't see, and his trainer was wiping his eyes. And uh, every time he comes into the, uh, every time he come, he comes to the corner. But when he finally got that vision back. It was all over for uh Sonny Liston. Sonny Liston went back. He took a beating so bad. The last two rounds, Sonny Liston went to his went to the seat. He sat down. He spit out his mouthpiece. He spit out his mouthpiece. I don't. I don't. When you spit out the mouthpiece, you pretty much uh don't don't want anymore. Uh, other Lennox Lewis was one of the was he was one of the few undisputed world champions. Mike Tyson was the first undisputed world champion, pretty much. Lennox Lewis held it all the way to the 2000s. I would really love to see Lennox Lewis and Bo fought at that point of time where they yeah. could have fought, but it seemed like Bo 
avoided Lennox Lewis a little bit by throwing a uh, belt in the trash. He kind of avoided it a, a little bit. But Lennox Lewis, uh, Lennox Lewis held it all the way into the 2000s. He did get knocked out by Sheen Robbon taking a punch by the um, on catching catching getting getting caught on the ropes by Robbon. He comes back. He avenges that loss by knocking out Rockman uh, brutally. Brutally hits him with a one-two, hits him with a one-two, and he felt his back of the head bounced hard up on the canvas. That was two good fights right there. And after that, Rockman was no more the same after that, after that, uh, uh about after that uh last fight. But you gotta give credit to Emmanuel Stewart. He was a hell of a trainer. Great trainer. Trained Oliver McCall. But I know you remember that. The one that knocked out Lennox Lewis the first time. That you know what? <laughs> I remember before I, what I remember before the fight was Oliver McCall pacing back and forth crying. Like, yep. <laughs> like, like, I think this dude's crazy. This dude must be crazy. He was, cry- he was crying before the fight, pacing back and forth. And then when the bell rang, he cleaned Lennox Lewis' clock. Yep, he caught him with that punch. He caught him with a sneaky punch, and he got it. Just happened to uh, knock him out. But like I said, we got more for you guys. We got we got a boxing show. Me, uh, Mo, Jordan, and Kyle, uh, Dylan. We got a boxing show coming up. Uh, MMA is they there's also some UFC up and now, but me and Mo as boxing guys, we're gonna we gonna be talking about a lot about boxing history and the landscape of boxing today and what fights we're gonna want to see in the near future. Uh, go ahead, uh, Jada. I was gonna say I did not know as much about George Foreman because all I know George Foreman is is from that ding dang on grill that I had. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Yes. That's the only. That's uh, I've just learned so much about George Foreman. Like, my mom would say he had a punch, but the way y'all described it was like I just learned a whole lot. So thanks for that. Yeah, all I knew was all I knew him was from the grill. I think a lot that's of people it. know him from the grill. No, nor from nor from the grill, the uh, commercials and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But in the ring, in the ring, the dude was a was had one of the hardest punches in boxing. If you talking about hitting someone so hard to pick that pick you up off your feet. So hard, and then he got he gets back up. Uh, then George Foreman chases literally, chases literally Joe Frazier across the ring. Joe Frazier gets in retreat mode. And back in the day, it was illegal. The hitting the uh rabbit, rabbit punch, punch. Was a, a rabbit it was illegal. Punch. It was illegal during that time. He tried to retreat. George Joe Frazier tried to retreat. And George Foreman ended up catching up to him, running because he knew he was hurt. When you're hurt, you're gonna go into retreat mode. You're gonna try to tie somebody up, or you're trying to go. You're trying to run far away from as you can to try so your legs can get back to get get back. Man, he caught up to him and he hit him across. He hit him on the back of the head and he went down again. Referee just called it off. Just called it off. That's one of the strongest guys that I ever seen. About you get hit with a punch that pick you up off the ground. That that's how strong that that darn dude was. And just remember the wars that Joe Frazier had with Muhammad Ali. The fact yep. that Joe, George Foreman can make Joe Frazier retreat. Yeah, yeah. Says it all. He used to come forward. Joe Frazier was a pump That's fighter. All he, knows. That's He's a all he knew fighter. was come forward. Yep. He was like a pressure. Like I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say this. He was like, he was a he was one of the first few pressure fighters. Like no matter how much he get hit, he comes forward. He comes yep. forward, and it kind of wears you down to a certain extent. And you kind of get tired. You're like, I'm hitting this man with everything I got. He's still able to come forward. It was like, say for instance, I'm a. I don't want to make this comparison. Sean Porter in 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 the era, he had to change his boxing style, and he changed it to a more of a pressure fighter. No matter how much you get hit, 
no matter how much you get hit, you're going to still come forward. Joe Frazier always came forward yeah. no matter how much. He can get hit with a kitchen sink by anybody else, and he still will come forward. But against George Foreman, he did not want to come forward at all. When he took that punt, took a punch from George Foreman, he goes into retreat mode. He did not want to – he would not want to come forward anymore after that. And that was one of the uh, greatest punches, punching guys I ever seen. So other than that, uh, we're going to hold some of that to the boxing show, some more of that to the boxing show because we got a lot more. A lot more, like I say, y'all tune in. It's in the works. Y'all tune in. It's in the works. We're going to talk about me and Mo and everybody else. We're going to talk about the landscape of boxing and what fights we're going to want to see today. May break down. Uh, I don't want to break down this fight because it may. It kind of may. It kind. I kind of feel bad for Earl Spence Jr. The way he got beat down today, but we'll get more into that. But Mo, tell the people they can get you at. Right here in Coffee and Sports in the morning with you, Coach. Next week, Monday, I think we're doing cheap sheets at six thirty with Kyle and the crew. So check me out there. Yep, J Dub, tell the people they can get you at. You can find me here on Coffee and Sports on the morning. Sh- morning show on Wednesdays. I got some more things cooking, but you can also find me on my personal YouTube and podcast George Sports Stories. I have a long episode coming out today, so you might want to go check that out when it's out later on. But yeah, you can find me on here and on George Sports Stories on YouTube and everywhere podcasts are found. Yes, indeed. Y'all, y'all know where y'all can find me at. Ain't no secret. It's right here. There's no uh, introduction for me. So as of, you know, Coach Dante, as for uh, my right hand man Mo, and as for down here J Dub, new nickname, aka Jerry, and my friend right there. Uh, shout out to everybody. We'll see y'all in another morning show. Y'all have a good good rest of y'all day. <laughs>